cut to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? You're drowning and I throw you a life jacket. Would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Hello, and welcome back to Jacks. I'm Tim Allen. Andrew on the board. S&P Futures up 9. The S&P Futures up 27. Trying to come back a little bit. We actually came quite a bit back this, yesterday afternoon in the last hour. Almost made it to maybe unchanged. Like, look, we might, after being down a bunch, uh, looked like we might make it back to unchanged. But then we backed off a little bit more, but still were, still was a down day. And now I'm saying, I'll tell you exactly what it is. That was on 106, S&P down 10, NASDAQ Futures down 32. Speaking of uh, motion creates emotion, a man who needs 200 shares. Do we have Mr. O'Neill? You have me, but uh, I sure don't create the motion like I used to. Well, just buy 200 shares. Just buy 200 shares. Whatever okay. it is, just buy 200 shares. Maybe 400 shares, a guy like you. Well, I was, I was thinking physical motion, and, uh, you know, I, I remember uh, uh, back on when my birthday was uh, um, a month or so ago, maybe six weeks ago, having an exchange with my brother Jeff, and, you know, we were talking about... Uh, uh, he, he said, you know, uh, he's, he's 70. He said, 70 is the new 40. And I said, 70 doesn't go from first to third on a single anymore, though. No, no, no it doesn't. Um, I'm not so sure it goes from first to second. You know, you know, these Sunday softball rule is if you, if you, uh, I don't know what the penalty is. It's something about um, if, if you throw out a guy over 50 at first base, running the first base in the outfield. He gets second as a penalty because <laughs> we don't want anybody getting embarrassed. So you can't, you can't. So, so I, I remember, you know, uh, in the softball years with the team, you know, we we always had a very very aggressive base running team, and then somewhere it sort of shifted as as everybody got to the forties is to don't get hurt. Oh yeah. And, and so you're saying eventually it turns into don't get embarrassed. Uh yeah, it's a uh... <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I, well, it, to be fair, the bases went from 55 to 60, correct? In 16 in softball in our day. They used to be actually uh, five feet. I'll, I'll take your word. Yeah, they were. They were I, I, I played first base. I'd always walk out there with the base and just plop it down based on, you know, I, I just say, yeah, this looks about right and drop it there. And then the umpire would come out and pace it off and it'd be right there. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I stood on I stood on that corner of the infield for too many years for it to, to not be something I could just eyeball. Well, we never we never had a a rubber at any of the uh, you know many of the parks, so I would just walk out. Well, I just walk out in any of the you know I'd see the bases on the mound and I just make my little divot in the in the thing and it was it was always right. I could tell where I was. But after how many gazillion games that I pitch, and the guy come out. You sure that's right? I go, yeah. You want to pace it? Well, no, not if you don't. <laughs> Besides, you could move off it anyway, so what's the difference? Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, with the, I remember the 55-foot bases, every every double play, if you didn't turn it absolutely right at at, uh, at second it base, happen. I mean, it didn't happen. I mean, plus the guys were right on you. If you were to, if you were to short center, I mean, you had, to, you had to hang right in there. And people, we, we first started, you wore steel spikes. I mean, that, that lasted about 
four or five. I remember going down to uh, Maxwell Street and buying uh, kangaroo steel spikes. And, uh, uh, I, I also remember that some leagues would allow it and some wouldn't, so you always had two sets of baseball shoes. Yeah. I mean, it, it got to the point where the other ones got good enough that you didn't need to wear the steel. I didn't think. They got, they got just as light. Actually, the actually the kangaroo steel spikes, they couldn't have weighed like two ounces. I can see why people wanted those things. But uh, anywho, um, we've got stuff going on. we got the Fed uh, doing their thing today. Everybody thinks they're going to pause. A few people think they're going to say they're going to start coming down. I, I don't see that happening. Uh, and Kenny didn't see that happening yesterday either. And he's kind of on top of this more than any of us. Uh, and we also have this um, strike, the, the uh, auto strike. You know, yeah, it looks like it looks like the uh, Canadian version of it's getting settled. So, yeah, I, uh, maybe we have maybe we have a roadmap of it. I'm I'm uh, as I uh, mature, Kevin. I use that term as I mature. I'm really stunned at the amount of my mother used to use this term all the time brainwashing that has gone on over the generations regarding uh, unions and, and who does what and who cheats and. Blah blah blah, and I, I'm absolutely appalled almost by people's view of this. I mean, uh, I heard our so we not very many up on many things. Former president talk about unions are gonna they're gonna send everything down to like Mexico if the unions don't agree to every anything everything these guys want to do. Uh, okay, president, former president. Maybe that's why you're the former president. I don't know, uh, but. I mean, it, it, well, I, I don't. I don't know that he's wrong that some of this won't drive uh, um, more jobs offshore, uh, or more likely to automation um, at, at this point. But all of them, and you know, I, I don't think that's you know. I, I frankly, I, I don't. I, I would prefer that uh, the administration's not weigh in on this at all, whether it's a former president or a current president. Let the people work it out. I would agree. I I, uh, I will say this though that the if you did um, I actually took remember the coach Leahy <laughs> I actually took uh, labor economics from him at Notre Dame and in my class was because he was named the coach <laughs> for a reason uh, Ian Williams was in there Dave Casper <laughs> all the athletes are in there right but it actually was <clears throat> a hell of a course I mean the coach was always shall we say generous to the athletes wasn't like they didn't have to go to class or anything. They didn't have to do their stuff. They did, but uh, uh, let's just say most of the athletes were in there for a reason. Um, and it, when you, when you think about it, if the more automation you get, okay, the remaining people actually are producing more per hour than the people before. They should participate in that because what they're doing is more essential than what people used to do before, right? Yeah, it's just different. It's, it's just different. different. Skill set. But yeah. the idea is that because you have robots, that the other people there that maybe, I mean, my my nephew, he I don't know how I don't don't know if he could he could turn a lathe. He probably could. Um, he's a pretty talented kid. But he he was the first guy that took all the training at the place where he was to learn how to program all the controls. For if you got a a machine that does everything, somebody's got to program it to do something. Garbage in, garbage out, right? The machine doesn't know what what the what the parts supposed to look like unless you tell it. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're dumb. Yeah, and so I mean it, the idea, but I, I'm I'm absolutely even people who. What I'm saying, uh, Kevin, is is the management has controlled the airwaves for so long that people's views of unions 
a, a really even people's views of unions that grew up in a union household were the reason why or one of the reasons why they were able to eat and go to school that their dad could put money or their dad and mom could put stuff on the table a lot of it had to do with the unions but I'm not, I, I never once thought they were lily white or purer than Pharaoh's wife but compare them to management compare them to ownership they're Okay, unions got bureaucratic. Management hasn't. I mean, really. <laughs> no, that, but that, that that really wasn't the issue. I I, I think if if you yeah, go back and look at some of the history of it, and um, you know, this is this is pretty well documented in in the reckoning, um, because unions unions served a really important purpose in the history of labor in the United States. Um, you know that unions are responsible for. Uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, safer working conditions that you get, you know, you name it, uh, uh, child labor laws, um, uh, you know, limits to how much you can make people work o- over the course of, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And and that's, you know, historically, that's really important. I, I think what they did is, as you go back, especially into the, maybe into the 70s, is they overplayed their hands and... Uh, and, and didn't read, didn't really read the situation. The situation that all of a sudden, you know, at a time when the, um, oh, what do I want to say? When when it was getting easier, when we were getting a more globalized economy, and it was getting easier to uh, uh, to buy up labor elsewhere rather than in the U.S. Uh, was the same time they were trying to put the squeeze on. Um, uh, on in, in auto manufacturing in particular, they were putting the squeeze on the manufacturers, and you know the manufacturers took enough losses, and they did, um, in, in as contracts came up, and when they finally took enough losses, they turned around and said, okay, uh, we'll go elsewhere, and so you know it, that does happen. It's it, it's great when you're able to win. Um, ex, uh, until, uh, but but it is not necessarily great when you're able to beat the crap out of your uh, opponent time after time after time. Uh, when they finally get a chance to strike back, they're gonna. I don't. I don't really think that the auto unions, they might have gotten, for a brief period of time. You're talking about a period of ten or fifteen years in the entire history of labor, that they might have been able to overplay their hand. Rest no, of the time. I'm talking about uh, it, twenty years. They they, they played it for a, a long time. They just it wasn't an overplay because um, you know if you if you go back into the fifties or into the sixties, um, the manufacturers, the corporations, didn't have as many options as they did as it started to emerge in the seventies. Well, but the the options, the options should be uh, other types of competition here. The the options shouldn't be child labor in China. No, no, that 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 takes the bargain. Oh, I, I, I'm not. I won't argue with you about that. That's absolutely true. Um, but you know, we we uh, you know, back when this started to move, we, that's not what we were talking about. At least not knowingly. What we were talking about was just going where the cheap labor was. Well, I, I think that when I was at Pullman back in the in the seventies, I think a lot of this had to do with uh, uh, the Fed, and I always come back to that. Because the more they bleep up, every time they bleep up, somebody power shifts someplace, and somebody gets screwed. And I'm going to say, in the 70s, uh, when the unions had had managed to get the full coal, I think our guys had, uh, and the prices really had stopped going up, inflation-wise, 
but the CPI kept, kept saying they were going up because it's such a lagging, even if it's done properly, it's a very lagging indicator. I think the last four or five cola raises that the people got at Pullman were, were A, not deserved, uh, and B, probably were a little over the top. I mean, we're talking, you know, 2 and 3% a quarter is what the inflation numbers are coming through, and, which is a lot. I mean, we start aggregating, that, that becomes a, you know, what do you call it, compounded. And I, I think there was a, but I, I've never, wa- I mean, but I've been in sit places, even at the CBOE, for God's sake. They wouldn't let the quote reporters, three of them sit at lunch together for fear they'd be talking about organizing. That's not that long ago, Kevin. Now, meanwhile, nobody ever, nobody ever said, hey, the chairman's getting paid way more than anybody else in town that has a $250 million company. The, I mean, these, they, you, know, you only look one way. And, and, and the weird part is, blue-collar people have bought into this crap. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I, what I'm saying, Eric was the guy who brought up on the show the first time, we have to, have to have him back, even though he moved south. Um, we have to, he's, he said the management class is now in charge. Not the owners, not the, not the workers. The management class. Most of these guys they haven't done anything. I mean, the guys at, at Pfizer, they didn't invent a drug. They didn't do anything. They just got the job. I mean, it, I mean you, don't, you don't see the board going in there and saying, I mean, you, I mean you alluded to it earlier, you're, you're in this world labor force, okay? Well, that's fine. So if somebody's willing to work for five hours in Mexico or, or 50 cents in China, somehow our people have to compete with that. Yet if the chairman here makes $22 million, like what's her name, uh, GM, Nobody looks and says, well, God, somehow the, the chairman of Toyota can make do with five. We, you should be in that labor force, too. No, nobody goes there, do they? Because they, they, they control the news. Well, yeah, you, you don't see that often, and, and I won't argue with you about that. I think, uh, you know, I think sometimes the uh, CEO salaries, um, you know, not, not in all cases, but in, in many, many cases, are way out of line. And uh, so, okay, but that's that's a... You know that's a separate issue than what's in the labor contract. Other than the fact that uh, people do in the negotiations and negotiating in the court of public opinion uh, are very, very fond of pointing out how much the CEO makes versus how much the average what worker. What makes. I'm saying, so I but think that, I think that's smart <laughs> tactic, by the way. Well, it is, I, but I, it's not. A, it's not part of the board decision, is what I'm saying. There's, there's when you have, like, let's just say, for instance, <clears throat> this is very simple, but, if, but a lot. A lot of people don't think of it this way, but in some ways, every, everything in life is simple when you come down to it, Kevin. Um, if a company, say PTI, <clears throat> stay Saks and Jacks, okay, Saks and Jacks, all of a sudden we get, we get nothing but uh, sponsors. And all of a sudden we, there's a million dollars worth of cash. I can't imagine this happening. A million dollars worth of cash piles into the place, okay, next year. And I'm sitting there going, oops, <laughs> what do I do with it? Okay, well, I guess, you know, I'm the... Uh, what do they got? I'm the MM something. I'm the main, main mofo in charge, right? So I got to sit there and go, but I'm, I'm going to have to make the same decision. <clears throat> the decision is <clears throat> how much does management get, meaning me? How much do the people who obviously I couldn't get there by myself, how much do I share with Andrew and, uh, and the two Matts and, and Greg? Because obviously I couldn't do it without them. Um, how do I, what, what about <clears throat> the guests that are here every day? All of a sudden, if there's a million dollars here, <clears throat> why should. Why should Kevin come on two days a week for nothing? Why I'm not? gonna walk. I'll walk right in the middle of a show. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, there well, you go. But I'm saying, and how much uh, is is worth ownership? The money I've put into the place over the last twelve years. These these are decisions. 
I'm not asking anybody in government. I'm not. I'm saying I, somebody has to make these choices. Who gets what share? You know, and and hopefully I would do it in a in a in a in a way where everybody will never whether they're happy or not. Hopefully I would do it in a very just way. Okay, I mean, and I think right now that the management is is way worse than labor ever was because I don't think the owners are getting anything. You think for a second that that you, you couldn't that if I was on the board of General Motors or Commonwealth Edison that I couldn't rearrange this where the people who think they're worth twenty million a year get way less than that and oh by the way the dividend is twenty percent higher than it is. Maybe it's, maybe I actually think that it's the ownership that's getting stiffed. But but this is the fight that's going on. I don't think ownership has any seat at the table, to be honest with you, other than the stock options you give some of these people. And then as long as they, they get their stock options, they'd rather have people, uh, you know, buy stock back than they would pay dividends. Well, if it's if your mom was still with us and she had General Motors stock, she might just want the dividend check. She doesn't want these morons going out and buying more stock. She she doesn't have a stock option, does she? So I'm saying it. I don't. I guess I don't understand why people are saying that this this is a fight. And, and unions trying to get back in the fray because they've been they've been the part that goes over the fence last for the last thirty years, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. now they're saying we want our peace. It's time. You guys have gotten all these raises. We cut back in two thousand and eight. In the last twenty years, adjusted for inflation, we're down twenty percent. All you guys are up. Now it's now it's our turn. And the economics have turned well, a little bit. Part, they, they do have a PR problem in that, uh, you know, you've gone over the numbers here, and you know what really is, you know. Uh, what kind of a wage increase is not losing ground, but it's still a bigger number than most people are seeing. So they have to overcome that particular issue as well. You can say we want a 20% raise because we all know what inflation has been, but there's nobody else out in the world getting a 20% raise. So they have to deal with that particular problem. They, they, they do, and, and you also have a, a government that's telling you inflation in the last four years has been 20%, it's been 40 So you've got that going against you as well. Right, but you know the other thing is you never came to that. Uh, there was a little saloon. I don't know who found it. I think, who was the guy who played quarterback uh, on our dorm team one year? Was it uh, Kirk? Kirk was this? Was his last name Kirk something? Something. Uh, anyway, remember we had the wishbone. Oh, I, I remember is uh, yeah. I, I have a picture of the guy's face. I uh, uh, but that I, I don't remember. Anyway, he, he he told me about this this. Uh, Restaurant that had fish frying or restaurant bar, uh, this fish frying Friday night. So we went there back when people didn't eat meat on Friday night. We went there a bunch of times. Great little spot, live little place, a nice pool table. And uh, on the wall was this big poster and said, "Just remember, everybody else in the world is under is overpaid, but you." So we have this idea. I mean, I actually was having a couple of cocktails with my buddies the other night, and one guy said, "You know." They were talking about the strike, and I said, these guys, the guy goes, what do you mean? He makes more than I do. He's an auto worker. He doesn't deserve that. And I go, okay then. <laughs> now, 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 we, now we know where we're coming from, you know? Because all this stuff, you're right, Kevin, this all enters the fray. I'm not getting, how do you think I, how do you think I felt at Pullman when every month I was the guy who, who calculated Bob Poschek and I, were the two guys, I did the stuff for the, um, Boston cars, but he did stuff with Amtrak, and we always did those together. We would figure out what the raise the union was going to get. One year they got like a twelve percent cola. It, it, I went in for my raise, and at Pullman they go, "Well, 
the, only the best guys are getting a five percent raise. You're one of our best guys. We really want to keep you. Here's five percent. I go. I'm, I'm the guy who does the calculations for everybody else. They all got twelve. Tanks for nothing. I was like the girl in Caddyshack. Tanks for nothing. It, well, that's it. Five, and I'm going. That's just swell. I, I'm, I'm now I'm down seven on the year. I mean, yeah, it's it's always been why. You drop back into well, I deserve it as much as those guys, or or they got a bigger raise than I did. Yeah, I mean that's people drop down to that, Kevin. And and the weird part is, is that you and I, being kind of blue collar people, we relate more to an auto worker getting a forty percent raise as being more than we're getting and being sort of pissed off. We don't really have. I've never had a twenty-two million dollar year uh, where, where somebody for a salary. That somebody ever gave me, so I I can't even relate to somebody getting fifteen million one year and twenty two the next. And neither can most people. So it's it's out of it's like when they talk about a trillion dollar bill. Who the hell even knows what a trillion dollar looks like? Yeah, but, yeah. One, once you're at, at four or five million, and somebody says twelve or fifteen, it's no there's no difference at that point in most people's minds. Yeah, I mean I I got, I got more than I ever could use. Now I got even more than I could ever use. You know, type of thing. Unless I'm on, going buying huge yachts or airplanes or something, but the other stuff you you, you can zero in on. Hey, that that guy's making forty bucks an hour. What the bleep? I'm making twenty five, and I'm I'm smarter than he is. You know that type of thing. So I mean, it's a lot of this is in there, and, and they are very very careful with this, with with the news, and and the you know management is letting this play out. They don't they don't where I can't find anywhere where the last raise was where they actually got their last raise. I mean, how long this contract has been, whatever. I think UPS, they didn't have a contract for a while. I'm not positive on that, but but I'm saying, if you're talking about a year or two, uh, nobody got a raise like before COVID, like the, uh, who are the guys, the first ones they got were these, the Caterpillar people. And they ended up with a four years, starting like a year and a half ago, four years where they were getting a 28% raise. And I'm going, man, oh man, if there's no coal in that thing, they're not even breaking even. And yet, the way it was put to people, these guys are getting a twenty-eight percent raise, and everybody sits there and goes, "When the hell did I ever get?" They, they carefully left out the over four or six years part. Okay, Tom, how many times have I said data isn't information and information isn't knowledge? <laughs> well, I, but I'm saying there the news. That's, that's exactly what you're describing. But, but is that there, there is no context for any of this. We just throw out the data, and everybody says, "Oh my." Well, I mean, if I were to say... We are an information illiterate well, country. You, well, you are uh, unique in a sense. Well, not in the show because the people here write stuff. But you're unique because you actually used to used to write for a newspaper, lack of a better term. And you Sorry. would actually... You could always tell if it was one of Kevin's articles. There actually was information in the last artic- in the last paragraph. Now, but if you wrote for the people today, first thing you'd do is lead with... Automakers demanding forty percent raise. Then, when wander off into some other BS, you never once say, "Well, this is going to be the total raise over like a seven-year period," because that would be a whole different message, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, you leave that part out. Just saying. Well, and, and you know that's because we have media that is uh, is passing. They're they're showing us um, opinion and disguising it as reporting. Um, yeah. Hey. Uh, we're supposed to be hearing from uh, Mr. Flynn today. He hasn't called in yet. We're going to go to break. Maybe we can catch him on break. SP Features up 8 and SP Features up 20. Be right back. Stacks and Jacks. Hey, Andrew, do you How have How much uh, confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? 
Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day -day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Right here, right now, right now. Hello, Rupex, Stacks, and Jacks. I'm Tom Andrew on the board. SP Futures up 10, NASDAQ Futures up 26 as we try and come back a little here. We had, a, yeah, we had a huge down day on Friday, which came back a little bit on Monday, like real little bit. And yesterday, we were down pretty heavy all day, down 30, 32 spoos all morning, all afternoon. They actually dropped lower to like 38, and then came back to being only down about 15 or 20. But this morning, we have, like I say, SP views up 10, NASDAQ views up 27, Dow up 76. We're trying to make a comeback. Uh, usually, usually, that's a slippery word, when you're down that much or up that much before a Fed announcement like yesterday, 
you try the market tends to want to come back to somewhere even before the uh, announcement unless it's front run which doesn't seem like this one everybody seems to know what he's going to say yet it still seems kind of kind of odd however Europe is actually strong this morning DAX up 95.6 percent FTSE up 58.8 percent Heck around up 30.4 percent um UK inflation was below forecast, so that's helped those guys out a little bit because their inflation has been running real, real their, their nominal inflation, I think they're a little more truthful than our guys. So they've been running hotter than us. The UK, however, down 218.6%. Hang Seng down 111. You can't get near, well, it's still near, but you can't get 17,885, so under 18,000 again. That's not a good sign. Shanghai down 16.5%. Uh, as China kept their benchmark loan rates unchanged. So that I, can't, I think people thought they were going to lower that sum. Uh, bonds down two basis points, 4.34 for a while. We were over the recent high of 4.36, so we're we're at the tippy top over the last few years on these ten, this tenure. Went up two basis, down two basis points, 2.72. Japan unchanged, 0.72. We've got oil finally down 56 cents, 90 dollars and 64 cents. Brent down 57, 93.77. Natural gas down eight cents, 2.73. Narbob down two cents, 2.63. I'm, I'm really stunned and happy that the, the spread between the oil and the Arbob is seemingly, uh, it's gotten a lot wider. Uh, Arbob could be a lot higher here with, with oil at 90 bucks, but it's not. Gold, down a buck 30, 1952, stuck right in this middle of the 1900s. Silver up 9 cents, 23.54. Copper up a penny, 3.76. Crypto, I got bitcoins down 64 bucks, but still, it's been pretty strong lately. 27,108. And the U.S. dollar, we're uh, we're down a little against the euro. The euro is up to a 107. We're up a little against the pound, probably because of the inflation numbers. So the pound is under 124 here for the first time in a real long while, 1.237. Andrew, what do you got for us? Travi Weather Sports. All right, it is 630, 6.39 here in Chicago on September 20th. Starting off with some sports, we had the White Sox lose to the Nationals yesterday, ended their game 4-3. to But the Cubs won over the Pirates, and that game was won 14-1. Got a Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks won as well over the Giants, 8-4. Now over to Chicago weather. It is currently 61 degrees. We have cloudy skies right now. Uh, decent chance of rain for the next hour, but not too much after that. We're going to have a high of 60, excuse me, 79 today. That's going to hit around 4 p.m. Now over in Phoenix, they're currently at 75 degrees. They're going to have a high of 100 degrees. That's going to hit around 4 or 5 p.m. And they are, uh, if I hadn't said it before, they are currently at clear skies right now. And now, uh, finally, for Chicago traffic, uh, things are definitely building up in the past 10 minutes here. We, we got a bunch coming in. Uh, yeah, we do. Uh, we had a, had a pretty yeah, pretty busy way just uh, coming in the office today. Um, but if you're on the way right now, you got to look out for, looks like the inbound, uh, excuse me, inbound Stevenson around uh, Illinois Route 171 to about Cicero Avenue. Uh, or if you're coming in on the uh, Kennedy, as always, Kennedy Construction, nearly all the way about downtown is running pretty slow right now. And if you're coming in, on the uh, Eisenhower, and finally that'll run you about, let's see, from about heavy traffic from Wedgwood Drive, from about Independence Boulevard. So there we go. That's all I got. Back to you, Chief. Kevin, the uh, the Kennedy has gotten so bad at night going out. I don't know how familiar you are with the inner city. I didn't. Even, I did not even. I did not know. I did not notice. I get off a of division. Actually, if you if you know a way to sneak in there. There's a accident site by the right by the division exit. Well, there's actually a street that you can escape north from there. Uh, I think it's Troop Street. I'm not sure. Well, 
it actually can act as an as an entrance to the expressway because you you come through the accident investments site you you go down the exit ramp and then you can go back up the entrance ramp this has now become people's key spot to get on where you can get rid of all the merging downtown so when i go to get off at division i got to fight my way through all the people trying to get on because i'm the only one getting off i never even knew that was there and yet everybody seems to have discovered it and now it's packed every night it's like well, it's like the it's like the surprise me that people discover it because um <laughs> because they uh you know they have a uh, people are ingenious when it comes to things like traffic and uh you know, there, there's a few things in life where, you know, the, you just count on people to be really, really smart. Well, can we figure out a way for the Cubs to play the Pirates like every game for the rest of the year or what? How about that? The Slump Buster Pirates. Yeah. I'll bet by the time they scored the eight runs in the was the bottom of the eighth, was there anybody there? I mean, it was a, didn't start till 8 o'clock. Well, it, it started late. It was rainy. It was, pro, you know, cool, uncomfortable. Yeah, I you know, I sure wasn't awake by then, so... <laughs> I, I'm not your good source on this. Remember the one day when uh, when Harry used to do the seventh inning, he goes, uh, it was, you know, usually would say, we need some runs. Well, all of a sudden, I'm out there one day, and, you know, I was sitting in my nice seats when I had them, and uh, all of a sudden the Cubs are whomping up on somebody. I don't, know, I don't know if Harry had a date or what. He gets done singing, he goes, we got enough runs. <laughs> let's get out of here. Let's, let's, just, let's get some outs and get out of here. It's like, Okay, you know his sentiment was shared by just about everybody at that point. But uh, I'll bet those guys did they bring in a uh, a non pitcher guy pitching? I can't imagine they got up eight runs off their bullpen. I don't know. I was didn't make it to the end of the game. But uh, I'm pretty sure on the Pirates staff at the moment, there's a lot of non pitchers that are called pitchers. Oh God, the uh, I'm kind of you know it's what's weird is that the uh, they started out the year spectacularly as did the Diamondbacks. Then the Diamondbacks had uh, some sort of a, I don't know if they had injuries or what, and they had a, all of a sudden they were they were horrible, and they dropped out of, I'm going to say the end of May to uh, maybe the middle of August, they dropped out of total contention with the Dodgers. They were what, they were what, seven games up on the Dodgers at one point? Yeah, they were they were up, and then they just had a really, really bad stretch, and then they got it together. It, I think in, in part it's because we're talking about a young team, and... Um, uh, you know, we we saw the same thing with the Cubs. They had a decent start, but they didn't. Uh, you know, in, through the middle, they didn't. And part of that was injuries, and I'm sure the Diamondbacks had some of that. And part of that, though, was um, uh, was just figuring out who really was part of the team. And we've seen that with the Cubs. First of all, we saw the injuries to two pitchers, but how many guys are key players on their team now that were not at the beginning of the uh, at the beginning of the year? Um, you know, Javier Assad wasn't he in the minor leagues? Yeah. The, uh, um, the other guy, uh, um, uh, Wicks, was in, in the minor leagues. These are guys they're counting on in their rotation now. Um, the uh, you know the closer who's on the DL now was you know a big question mark. They had no idea what they're going to do. And I so I think you know a lot of teams, especially the young ones, go through this whole stage of trying to figure out. You know who they are, what they are, who, who you know who, who the parts are that fit, and this is normal team development stuff. This you know the, the same principles apply in in business that apply to a sports team. Uh, it just takes some time. If you have a bunch of veterans, even that takes a little time to work out the roles. But it, at the very least, it, it happens quicker because they've had those roles before. Most of them have been defined. 
But I, you know, I think when you have a team as young as the Diamondbacks, it's just going to be, it's just going to take time for the pieces to fit. And so you got a little hot streak that was a nice tease of what they could be, but until you know, until they got people in their right places and then they got to play together for a while, uh, it wasn't going to look pretty all the time. Well, they've got huge speed. They got lead the league in stolen bases, which I think, which usually means that the guy who's hitting has a much better chance of getting a pitch to hit if there's a guy in first base they're worried about, right? Uh, even yeah, though Usually, yeah, although now I, I don't think they worry as much because you know, the, the major leagues are going to set a record for uh, a percentage of steals because for a number of reasons, one being that uh, um, you can only throw over, you can't throw over more than twice, and after that it's a balk if you don't get them. So that, you know, remember, how, you know, people used to throw over, you know, six, seven, eight times yeah. if necessary. You don't see that anymore. Um, you know, what's kind of interesting about that, and I've seen this develop over the years, first throw over the fans boo. You notice that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it used to be, you know, when, when fans started booing on throwovers, it's because you threw over for the sixth or seventh time, and, you know, they're after you to get on with it. And somewhere along the line, uh, they, the fans have just started to boo automatically when they throw over. I don't even think they know why. It's just conditioned response. Well, I, I went to talk about conditioned response, and people were talking a little bit about brainwashing earlier. Who, who was the Cubs had the third base coach that uh, Wave and Wendell that, that he used to send people home? Yeah, and Wendell Kim, yeah. And they were out, and they were always out, or seeming like they were always out. So the fans, somebody must have told them on a social media thing. This guy was a horrible third base coach, and, and it was like basically it was you know Wendell sucks every time you know the guy did something, which is pretty awful for a home team. So I wasn't in my seats. I don't know who I was with, but I was down with the rabble. When I say the rabble, mine were with the rabble, but I was in the front row. I'd have to pay attention to anybody except the game. Uh, that sounds a little something, but you know what? That's okay. I just wanted to watch the game. I didn't want people jumping up in front of me. Um, anyway, so we're down in what used to be. I guess you know, right above the, the aisle. We weren't behind the poster, and I'm right in front of the aisle. And all of a sudden, he holds some guy at third base. And everybody around me starts singing, starts singing, Wendell Sox, Wendell Sox. And I said to the guy next to me, I go, you know, the guy would have been out by 20 feet. And he looks at me and he goes, well, I know. And I said, so why are you yelling Wendell Sox? And he goes, well, everybody else is. <laughs> And I go, okay then. If you catch yourself <laughs> saying that, I think it's time to start reevaluating some things. <laughs> I would, I would, I would, I would say that. Uh, so, um, Kevin, what you know, with all the stuff we talk about with you, and we talk about the education and how uh, expensive it is, and we see some serious jobs available, uh, at least in the short term, in a lot of the manufacturing facilities now. That when I say a lot, I mean Chicago is down what. 80% in manufacturing, and now they're, they're, they're probably perking up. They picked up 5% of that back, you know, so there's a bounce, whether it's a dead cat bounce or a real bounce. I just, I, uh, I, don't, I, I don't get, and this is what the argument we have with, with all of use, uh, I don't understand why when people go to school, even in high school, I don't understand, I, even though I was in the honors program, you know, and I had plenty of time. To take a woodworking class or a mechanical drawing class or something along those lines, just to have some kind of an idea of of that, because the thought process, the solution process, is exactly the same. Whether it's a computer uh, programmer, whether it's a guy building a wall, whether it's a guy building a railroad car, 
whatever it is, figure out what you want, figure out what, what you want it to look like, what it's, what, the, what it's supposed to do, and start backing up and saying, okay, what has to happen to get me there? The process is the same, and it's actually much more straightforward in, like, building a railroad car, but it's, it's actually the same as people doing a, a whole whole new thing of programming, isn't it? Or even designing Bitcoin, isn't it? I mean, whatever, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to accomplish, you have to scope it out, have your, have not necessarily the procedures, but you have to say what it's going to look like, what are the parts, what are the people, what's the assembly, and, and, and go from stage one to two to three to however many you have it. I think there's a logic there that I don't see why I came out of Maris without one or two courses like that. And I don't see, no matter how, I won't say smart you are, no matter how college prep they think you are, What's wrong with that? And I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't. Oh, nothing's wrong with that. In fact, uh, you know, it's it's funny because I, I just covered this, uh, uh, this process in class, and and I always shrink it down. You know, the, it, when it comes to projects, especially, um, there's you know all kinds of methodologies and phrase, phases, and you know a lot of people, um, uh, you know, mo- most. Let me put it this way: a, a whole lot of projects use what's called the agile format, which means especially in IT when you're doing software development, you're doing everything in, in two-week sprints, basically, and, uh, and you're not, um, you know, you, you, uh, that, that way if, if something's wrong with the design, you can just back it out. Now, there are all kinds of projects that don't lend themselves to that, but it really gets down to three phases, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it's a thought process that goes like this. Define it, do it, and manage it. You know, you, you define what you have to do. You get as many questions out up front as you can. You get them answered, and and you get as much information as you can get before you you do step one. Then the do it is just lay out your lay out your process and go. And but the part that people forget all the time is the managing. Okay, now I have something. I've accomplished something. I have a new product uh, uh, ready for development. I have a, a process change that I'm doing. Whatever it is. Um, you know, people get there, and so now you go and implement, and you know, the the manager asks a couple of questions. You know, once I make a change, or once I make uh, uh, put something new in the field, am I okay? Is it working? Is if it's not, how, what am I going to do? Am I going to back out, or am I going to uh, uh, back back out and re, uh, you know recover, or am I going to try and recover on the fly? What am I going to do? Um, and then what am I going to do when I hit my first? month end, quarter end, you know, all of those kinds of things come into play. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about a tweak to a manufacturing process or a new new product spec for a new customer, or if you're talking about an IT system. And and I think that, you know, that kind of structured thinking is uh, is lost in the world today. Uh, and, and so to me, it's a real important point of emphasis. I, I always I, tell my students, if you can do this, you're going to be a star. You're going to make a lot of money. Well, I also, I mean, I, as you know, I'm always on the other side. Well, I'm not on the other side of it necessarily, but I, I, don't, I don't really care if somebody is the greatest machine mechanic on earth. If When the Fed comes out and says something, I want that guy to know what the hell the Fed just said. I, I would want maybe there's to be an economics course in high school or, some, or, or an, an accounting course where somebody says profits. I don't want... or. Uh, or you know, and it talks about a financial statement. I don't want their eyes to gloss over. I kind of like people to know everything. And I, you know what? Yeah, and I agree. And therefore, it, you know, you take a class from me, it doesn't matter. You take a business class from me, a business law class, a management class, it doesn't matter. We're going to talk about accounting. We're going to talk about basic accounting. 
And, uh, you know, what, what did I, I, again, teaching a quality class, what did I tell my group yesterday? Hey, you want an initiative, you, you've got a really good idea, you know it's going to help, you know it's, you know, in your gut it tells you you're going to save money. You better be able to put it in financial statement format so that somebody who is making decisions can sign off on it. And then, you know, the part of the manage it is now you have a basis for tracking it as well. And when you have the basis for tracking it, uh, then you also have the basis for understanding that you had a success and getting credit for that too. Well, Kim, I, you know, we only, we got a few minutes left, and I, I, there's there's people, and I don't want to go down the conspiratorial. We, we need to get our buddy back on. Or who's our conspiracy guy? Was uh, what was his name? Oh, Wayne. We have Wayne Manson. Uh, do you think there's a? I mean, I don't care even if you're today's teacher. That's probably too much of a slam, but you you must notice the difference in somebody graduating. You know, not Walter Payton and, and or Whitney Young or those places. The average public school, and certainly in some parts of the city, you must notice the difference between that curriculum and that product, the output, than the than the curriculum and the product thirty years ago, forty years ago, eighty years ago. You know, I mean, when my mother came out of Inglewood. I gotta believe she knew one hell of a lot more than the average person coming out of Inglewood right now. I, mean, I, don't, th- I don't think there's even a, a comparison. Um, they they must know that there's this kind of degradation going on, and it, and this is it's turning into, for lack of a better term, almost like a, a, a I won't say class warfare, but it's some kind of warfare to where we need more money for this, and people look at the this and they go, I'm paying for that. I mean, they're, they're, whenever people have these kinds of arguments going on, usually there's a root cause of it. And the root cause of it is, it appears to a lot of people paying a lot of money that a lot of people aren't getting educated, they're not being taught, and I'm paying for it. And what exactly am I paying for? And I'm, and I'm saying I feel that way. I'm saying, that there, there's a, is, there, is there some design on, 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 on both sides of the aisle uh, at some level to dumb down the population? Because it seems like it's happening on, on both ends. I and on the one end, it's it's we're focusing on. It seems like we're focusing on minority votes, and we're just people that are somewhat easily led. But on the other side, I know I can name five people, Kevin, and I I know that we have a lot of conservative people on the show. And by the way, in in a lot of things, when it comes to money, I'm probably as conservative more than any of you guys. You know that. And how and whether a program works or doesn't work, I think is non-denominational. I don't care if it's Democratic or Republican; it's either worth it or it's not. And we're helping people or we're not. So, but I I probably can name you five people that I really liked being around twenty years ago that maybe have retired that stand there watching essentially right-wing TV and hating people all day long. It's it's almost as it's almost as dumbing as dumbing it down as a population as it is. What's going on in some of these neighborhoods? It, it's just in a, are, is this being done on purpose? Well, yes. Why, why do we want anybody? Yes, yes, we like to divide people. But what what is the? I don't, it would seem to me if if you and I ran for office, we we try and unite people. That's how you get votes. This dividing part, I somehow to me this this isn't going to work forever. It might be, hopefully it's going to work for a little while. But somewhere, the sixty percent of the people in the middle say, "Hey, it's time to elect our person, whoever that is." I, I think. I don't know. If, I don't well, know. If I, I think you're seeing a certain amount of that already, um, and um, you know, it, look, this whole idea. 
brought it up so many times of othering. You know, it, it, if if it's if you're not one of us, you're a bad person, and you know we have to stop doing that. Um, it, it's actually one of the things I really like about uh, Nikki Haley as a candidate. Me too. She talks about that all the time. Uh, about you know, it, it, like for instance, in abortion, she said we have to have conversations about this. We can't just say one side's evil and the other side's not and each side's saying the same about the other. Um, so we, we have to be able to have you know, conversations and, and develop some, some good will between people before we figure out where, where there's real consensus. And, and I think she's right about that. I, I, I think she's absolutely right about that. And uh, um, you know, where that can wind up in terms of abortion policy, we'll see. Because you always have absolutists. Well, that's fine, but absolutists, the people who are absolutists aren't most people. They're some of the people. And they're the ones with the loudest voices. They're the ones that really want people, you know, want everybody divided and want to say those things about the other side because that's what benefits their, uh, you know, their point of view. And so, you know, we've got to get away from that and start saying, okay, where's consensus? Because, you know, I, and I've said this before on, on this very show, that we, we probably, if you really get down to it and you talk to people, you talk to average people, people with families, and say what really matters to you, we're going to find that there's a whole lot of common ground there. Oh, sure people there is. People want safety. People want a good lifestyle. They want their kids to be educated. They want all of these things. And, uh, and so now, you know, our discussions aren't, well, you don't want my kids to be educated, but I do. It's really get, now we're going to be able to have conversations instead about what's the best way to do that. Remember, uh, remember Kevin Reardon, he's kind of the show before he moved, uh, we still worked downtown, and he moved out to the Burbs. Well, his job moved out to the Burbs. One night we're sitting here having a, a cocktail over at Ceres, not that we ever did that. And he says to me, you know, you're a moderate Democrat, and I'm a moderate Republican, and we agree on most stuff. And he goes, in case you haven't figured it out, neither one of us have a party. Uh, that was 12 years ago. How clairvoyant was he? Well, he, yeah, he was spot on. And, and I think, you know, it, that that's true. Um, I, I don't know how it's going to shake out. I don't, you know, I'm not real optimistic, in, at least in the foreseeable future. So, you know, I don't know what to tell you about that time. I have a, uh, I have a know, question. I, and I see I, what's wrong. I don't know yeah. who's, who's out there that's going to fix it. I have a question regarding uh, Nikki Haley, and it's early, and you know more about her than I do. Uh, she seems to me like she has an awful lot of common sense. She has a nice background. Not that other guys don't. Uh, but where this is going, Jessica would tell me that DePaul, when she was there, that the Republican Party was the Republic was the party of the manly men, and the, and, and and the other party was the uh, you know the gays and the women was the Democrats. You know the LGBT whatever the hell they are women group. And I, I wonder is there the the far right that's currently the way it's currently put together. I, I wonder if it's if it's Cleopatra if they would nominate her. I mean, I, I wonder if that group is is so anti women. Would, would oh, I don't I I don't see. I think that's a load of crap. I don't think. I, I'm, I'm just asking. I I, I get the I, feeling I that there are. And in fact, I think you're finding a lot more uh, women coming around to that point of view. Because they don't want their kids to go into school I, and be indoctrinated and told, you know, told, well, we won't tell your parents, but we think you're. You by know, the way, I'm 100% I'm with you. Girl. I'm just saying people have told me that some of the 
the the the uh, some parts of the Republican extreme right, just just like the the the, the, the Democrat extreme left, don't want any more old white guys. There's no doubt about that, right? So it's not like it's not in front of you. When, when's the, when's the first time this guy, this mayor, is going to going to appoint a white guy to a job? Well, you know, uh, okay. So there's a lot that don't want an old white guy, and and yet who who do they elect president? Well, I, I, old, old white guy. Who got pushed aside so that Biden could be their candidate? Oh, I don't know, a gay man, uh, yeah. um, uh, a woman. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to hear it. You know, I, I don't want to hear it from that side either. No, but I'm, I'm asking the question. Because is and, there... And, and, and who are they going to push aside if Biden doesn't really Mike, wind up being their candidate? I'm just... I don't um, know the answer somebody, to this. You know, Kamala's toast. Nobody's going to... They're not going to support her. I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm what I'm focusing on is... I really like Kamala Harris. I'm saying, is there some sort of a barrier on the Republican right to having a woman there? I hope no, the answer is no. I actually think I, I'm starting to, uh, you know, come to the conclusion that a Biden's not going to be the candidate, and b I'm not sure Trump's going to be the candidate either. That would be terrific. I don't know. And, and if he isn't. The one with the most momentum right now in in the party in the Republican Party is is Haley. Well, I, like I said, I like her. Uh, I, I have a weird feeling about this guy from uh, Florida. Why does he remind me of the guy that was in the dead zone? Oh, I don't know. I you know, yeah. I, look, I, I I got my issues with DeSantis, but on balance, from you know, from a governing governing standpoint, I you know, I think he's uh, he's run his state well. Well, and, and we got to dash and let. I really, I really would like somebody who was also a good administrator as well as a you yeah. Know, a, I agree. A policy wonk. Oh, I don't. If it's not Biden, it's not uh, Kamala. Who I really hope the, it isn't. Um, I, I don't even. Is there a front runner there? Uh, probably Gavin Newsom. You know, he's he's the uh, the party's pretty boy right now. But uh, you know, he's he's foursquare expressing his support for. Um, for Biden, so I don't know how he's going to pivot off of that. Um, That's you know, uh, we'll, weird. We'll see. Anyway, SP futures up 11, NASDAQ futures up 31. Andrew, you want to go right to Russell, or you want to do a short break? It's up to you. Oh, yeah, we can go right to Russell. It works All right. right. Russell, are you with us? Yes, I'm announcing my candidacy for president. Good. And I also am letting, but, but I also want to let you know that I do now identify as a black woman, so I will be the first black female president there of you the go. United States. Oh, are, is that, is that I the love it, Russell? <laughs> hey, I, I see Ryan, uh, Ryan Flynn's in too, so you guys got to talk some crypto. Okay, yeah, I was just about to say that. You got Ryan Flynn right. here as well. Ryan keeps avoiding you, Kevin. We're not sure. He must not like you, I'm thinking. Uh, <laughs> that, would put, that would put him, welcome to the club there, Ryan. The, uh, Okay, Russell, we're going to talk a little bit about crypto with our, our friend Ryan, if you don't mind. Uh, Not at all. I'll sit here and be very quiet. Actually, uh, don't be I, quiet, because you know more about it than I do. daughter's 19, so I'm going to go talk to her. How about, if, uh, <laughs> how about if if I be quiet and you guys talk about it more, because you know more about it than I do. Ryan, welcome. Do we have him? We got him here, but it looks like uh, he might be having some mic trouble right now. All right, well, when he comes back, we'll, we'll pop him in. Uh Russell, what do you make of uh, the Fed today? What do you make of the... You know, uh, the, the Fed's not going to do anything. Um, I'm actually doing a, I'm, I'm doing a podcast in a couple of hours about the Fed, so I'm, I'm all read up on it. Uh, I think the odds of a hike are 0.0 or a 0.8% chance that we'll get a hike, yeah. which means nothing's going to happen. Uh, right now, if I'm remembering correctly, what you really want to focus... What I am going to be looking at 
uh, is there's a way you can look at the derivative markets and it can tell you what the markets actually think the next move's going to be and when it's going to be. And I think right now, um, the next change, the, the odds are in June and it's a cut of 25 basis points. So I'm going to be seeing if you know, the odds of a cut uh, get moved up meeting-wise afterwards based on the language. Um, it, there's still a 30% chance that we get a hike in November, so I'm going to take I'm going to be paying more attention to, to how the markets are pricing things in for the farther meetings based on the language that we get today. Because that, that's really more, it, you know, nothing's going to happen today. So it's going to be all about the language. And then I think Powell's gotten smart enough that he just doesn't talk about anything in the press conferences um, un unless he's got something new to say. So I, I, it'll, be, it'll be all in the language and how the, the markets change their outlook for everyone. Um, if what you so say is everyone. true, I would say mm -hmm. that come May, w with the first drop, we're going to end up by middle of next year, a Fed funds rate, instead of being, what, five and a half, it'll be five. And yeah, it, and it'll it, be five, and, five or five and a quarter, somewhere around there. But I'm, what I'm uh, saying is I bet that the 10-year is going to be six and a half. Wow. Or six. It's going to be higher than the, than, the, than the, which it should be, by the way. It should be. That's where we're, and then that'll probably, you know, it, it, if it falls into that, and I hadn't really thought about that part of it, but if, but if we fall into a situation like that, then... Welcome to our new normal, which it should be our new. It should be our always normal. Yeah. <laughs> not just you know, not just the new normal, but the new normal for a lot of people that don't didn't realize that inflation was a thing and um, and um, you know that, that interest rates aren't all you know aren't always as low as they are. Well, I we're, think we're, you, uh, we're getting back to hopefully a normal market environment. Uh, I, I would say that there's sort of a couple issues with that. Um, Mm -hmm. Is uh, and I, I will, what you just said, by the way, and, I, and mm -hmm. you you know that there's a lot under what you just said. Oh, I, I know. I and know. When now, what what I'm going to ask you directly is, that means that our fearless leaders, or mm -hmm. lame leaders, or whatever you want to call them, have essentially said we're we're now comfortable with the new price level, even though 80 percent of the population can't deal with it. Yeah, and then the population gets to catch up with it. Has has to try. That's yeah. I mean, we've we you know, we've spoken for a long time about on here just about how abnormal the situation has been across the board, and we you know and we've also said when we get if if we get back to just a normal you know interest rate environment that there is going to be a lot of pain associated with it. We've just been you know we've just been kicking the can down the road forever and ever and ever, and unfortunately, I think we're we're at a point where that's going to become, you know, that, that, that we've got to come up and it's around it. Well, I don't know if you were listening earlier when we were talking about the Auto Workers Union, and I, and I was talking about who is controlling the dialogue. Uh-huh. Uh and I would have all the, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, well, you know, I'm going to say flat out, the, the people on Fox News, the people on, or Business News, the people on CNBC, and I, I haven't watched Bloomberg in a while, uh, are so hung up on having the executives on TV that even if you ask them if they're being fair, and they would say they're being very fair, and yet and yet they're not. And they also want the Fed chair on TV and a Bureau of Labor Statistics head on TV. So even without 
knowing it, and they probably do know it, even without knowing it, they're taking huge sides and in and, and this, I would say, battle for the buck, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was talking to Kevin, I said, well, if you, if you recognize that inflation across the board for most people has been 40% and not the 20 you're telling people, and, uh-huh. and every single time you were to say, the auto workers are looking for a 40% raise over four years, which essentially gets them even to where they were two years ago. That's a lot different message than saying, man, these dudes want a 40% raise. Where the hell is that coming from? Yeah. Well, th- this relates to something else that you were talking about earlier, which was, um, you know, the, the abilities of high school graduates now. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we've got a good portion of the population that doesn't have, doesn't have the ability to think two steps. No, and, and, I, and is this you know, it, and I and and I'm I'm actually doing something at IU where uh, they're, they're trying a, a trial experiment where they're going to have incoming freshmen who have a dedicated focus that they're going to work in research work on research, and I'm I'm like working with a couple of freshmen, and they don't think to and they you know these are college students so that have gotten into a university, um and a and a pretty good business school. And they don't have this two-step thinking yet. I, I could see it in the meetings that I had yesterday. And I'm at, it's not a criticism of them at all. It's just, you know, they're, they're 18 years old, for God's sakes. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I was just explaining, you know, the implications of um, changes in the market, et cetera, or changes in a business, et cetera, as well to them. Uh, and you could just kind of see a little bit of being perplexed and then kind of a light bulb go off. But I don't think things are explained in, you know, the, the way that, that we explain them on here, you know, that, you know, that, that there's always a lot of underlying currents that are going on that you, you don't pick up on, that everybody doesn't see. Uh, you know, the, the network thing, them having the executives on and taking a side, well, you know, they, they make their money from advertising and car yeah. companies are big advertisers. So, of course, you know, and, and if, you know, if, if one of my students said, well, why do they only have that? Why don't they show the union side of it? I would say, well, think about the incentives. It's always about the incentives and always about, you know, I guess, I guess what they said in Watergate was follow the money. Well, but it's also... It's kind of the, sa- it's kind of the same thing here. But they, the, you know, I mean, this isn't a, a bash. It's, I think we're just trying to tell the truth. It's mm-hmm. don't call yourself a news show then. Oh, no. No, no, no. It's not. I mean, no, there, not. There, well, there are times when it is and times well, when it isn't. Well, you know yeah. what? You, you can call because all the news programs pretty much do the same thing now. Um, maybe we need a new term for completely unbiased. Well, I, I think it comes down and, to... And informa- you know, there's news and then there's information. And information is the raw part without the editorial. Well, I mean, it, 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 just we, go, it goes with the territory, though, Russell. I mean, mm-hmm. when, when I was a Ute, uh, and I was... Mm-hmm. I mean, the net, you had the three networks, and they, I'm not going to say didn't compete because they did, but they basically said, it, you know, at, at 6 o'clock, I think it was 6 o'clock, wasn't it, we're going to have a half-hour, quote, news show. Now, hopefully, yeah. you'll like Walter Cronkite on CBS more than you'll like, if you're the CBS guy, than you'll like Harry Reasoner on Channel 5 or wherever the hell he was, or the guy on mm-hmm. Channel 7. But we, we competed with each other for the news we didn't we didn't have a try and be somebody on 12 hours a day 
where we're, where we're, we're talking about stuff all day long that has really nothing. I mean, granted, you're given where the market is all day long because that's news, or if an announcement uh-huh. comes out, that's news. But you don't. We're, we're not, nobody cared if Walter Cronkite had the head of GM on versus somebody else. He he wasn't about to to change his story because the Fed was going to be a guest on his show. I mean, it's, uh-huh. it's, it, it was just different. I mean, it, it was really news, and the, and the competition was for that half hour. And then, then you went to other shows the rest of the day, <laughs> basically, right? Uh-huh. Um, so it was just different. Right. But now it's not. I mean, yeah, you know, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, you know, I think maybe, and, and this is the first, I just had, the reason I'm interrupting you is I think I had a light bulb moment. Um, I think we went from um, watching the person that you trusted the most yeah. To the person that you just agree with. Well, as, as Dr. J, when we when I started the show how many years ago, and he was on with me for a while, he goes, just mm-hmm. remember, Chief, nobody will pay for information. They will only pay for affirmation. Yeah. And that's, that's very unfortunate. Yeah, it's, it's very unfortunate. I mean, how many people yeah. rag about, I mean, I, Audrey's friends always get pissed when I do this. They, they rag about the news they get, and some of them have gotten kind of right wing. Uh-huh. I said, when's the last time you bought a newspaper? Well, I'm never going to buy a newspaper. Okay, well, <laughs> okay. You know, you, 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 you're going to get what people give you. It's like, it's like people, yeah. that th- people that think their, their, their trades are for free when you do stock trades. They're not free. Uh-huh. Just, you, just, you just abdicated being the customer. Customers now have people they send your order to that makes money off it. I mean, it, you're, it's not yeah. free. Nothing's free. Duh. I mean, no, uh, no, no. I mean, no, no. There's definitely. I mean, there's a cost to everything for absolutely, absolutely sure. Well, what? But it's hey, it's Tom, it's, it's, it's more. It's not a free. It's a convenience. I, I, I heard somebody. Is that Ryan? Hey. Yeah. Hey, Tom. How you doing? All right, boy. You guys are supposed to be the technical generation. For God's sake, here we finally got you. Yeah. <laughs> I think I ran Kevin off. I, I, no, no, no. You you're on with Russell Rhodes, professor down in Indiana. So so he's right near uh, you. Uh, uh, Ryan's in Indianapolis. Yeah. How yeah. are you? Yeah. I'm, I'm my my office is at uh, IUPUI. Oh, awesome! Yeah. So so yeah, uh, yeah I'm I'm right down the street from you. All right. So tell Russell what you're doing, and uh, Ryan is an expert on uh, Bitcoin. Not so much on the other stuff, but I'll let you describe yourself, and then because Russell knows way about more about this than me, so I'm I'm happy he's here. Yeah. No, I'm excited to, to, to jump on here, and I, yeah, it's, it's been a long time coming, so I appreciate you working with me to, to, uh, to join the show. Um, I, I work in the Bitcoin space. I, I work for a company called Swan. Uh, we're a Bitcoin-only financial services business, so we do sort of our core business is, is, is brokerage and custody, um, but we, we really come at the market from, a, from an education and content-first approach. So. So really, I, I think about my job as as you know educating people on Bitcoin and, and sort of why it's an important asset, why it's unique from the rest of the crypto space, why it's unique from traditional assets. You know what what sort of the mission of the of the um, the whole you know sort of movement is about, and 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 so yeah, we we primarily work with at least from from my perspective, we work with uh, high net worth individuals who. Who use our platform to you know buy and hold Bitcoin, um, and I also work directly with financial advisors as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a big topic. It's it's a relatively new asset, right? It's been around for 14 years. It's a pretty complex topic. You know, pulls from a bunch of different disciplines. So, um, you know, I don't think anybody who's who's in the space today, you know, I don't think anybody fully knows everything about it. It's something that we're all sort of learning together as 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 the market matures and 
we see um, you know, we see people interacting with the assets. So um, I'm happy to lend my perspective here and, and answer questions and and uh, you know help your listeners kind of understand what this thing is. Russell, you have a couple of questions. I have a couple. Who wants to go first? Why don't you go first? Oh, I was. I, you go first. Well, I. I uh, I've talked to a couple of people because I'm going to I'm going to get deeper. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I well I, I I've talked to a couple of people about this. I mean, knowing you were going to come in, right? And my view has always been, uh, you know, fairly negative on the asset piece, but but certainly positive on the uh, whatever you want to call it, how how the system works. Because Kevin has driven that into my head, and mm-hmm. I uh, when I was had lunch with my uh, guy who does our accounting and stuff here for PTI. Uh, and he he's big on it because he thinks it's going to overwhelm the uh, the SWIFT network and be cheaper and better than the than the international uh, currency essentially swap network that is designed now between banks and other stuff. And I can and uh, I could I could I could roll with that. I and mean, I'm not so sure that there can't be an improvement there, even though I don't know as much about it as you and he do does. Uh, I just I I'm always been kind of confused as. The network part I get, the asset part, where we're, we're bidding the stuff up. If it's not, I don't, I don't know how that. I guess I don't. I never, I never quite. Uh, to me, there's a separation there. If there was a company that ran Bitcoin and said we're going to take over the international payments network, I would probably invest in that company tomorrow. I, I just, I just have a problem separating the two. That, but the thing itself has become an asset, and I can't, I can't just can't get my hands around that piece. The, yeah. I mean, I. Yeah. Anyway, that's where that's where I am, I, and I, I'm hoping you can educate me here some. Yeah, it, it's it's a great topic of conversation. I think it's a, it's a pretty common sort of uh, understanding of and, and sort of conception of what this is from people who are you know don't spend every day looking at it. And, and I think you hear sort of you know I, I don't really care about Bitcoin, but I'm interested in the blockchain. That's a common you know, sort of phrase that you hear. And there, there's a lot of you know, Fortune 500 people that are sort of pushing this blockchain narrative that there's some real, sort of real innovation with this with this particular piece of technology. When you know, in, in my view, the innovation is actually Bitcoin, the asset, but it but it, it you know as a as a monetary asset. So I think it's important to to, to think about Bitcoin as 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 a new form of money. Um, and there's some technological innovation that has has created this new form of money that I think will outcompete other forms of money on the marketplace. And part of that innovation is the blockchain. But blockchain itself is not, it sort of doesn't stand alone as an interesting innovation. It's actually, you know, it's actually been around for some time. And and really what's unique here with Bitcoin is the way that these things have been put together in a novel, in a novel approach, which sort of makes the whole thing work. It's It's sort of a game theoretic and incentive driven system that that makes that makes the thing work and, and blockchain is is sort of one piece of it and, and i think you know and a way to, a way to think about that is to is you know maybe an analogy is to say like you know we invented flight we invented an airplane and that's cool but i'm actually more interested in just the wings right the, the wings on its own aren't aren't sort of that interesting you know you've got you take wings off of an airplane you've got you know a long dinner table maybe but you put you put wings on an airplane in connection with the engine and the you know the aerodynamics and, and aerospace you know sort of uh engineering around that then you've got something really interesting and and blockchain itself is you know, all it really is you know if you, if you look at the actual technology is 
it's it's a database, right? It's a way to store information, and it's actually a pretty slow and and clunky database. So, you know, if you're looking at if you're looking at database technologies, there are certainly others out there that are more effective and more efficient in in sort of you know transferring and storing information. And the reason why it works for for Bitcoin and for a monetary asset is because it's it optimizes for security. It optimizes for sort of a base layer of of uh, immutability, right? That that's really a key component of Bitcoin. The asset is that it's it's tamper proof, um, and so the blockchain database structure, you know, sort of allows that 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 characteristic to shine through. Um, but if you if you would apply, you know, blockchain technology to other use cases like more centralized forms of payment or uh, you know, just other database applications. You know, blockchain's rarely going to be the technology you would pick to, you know, to to, to perform that that function of a database. So, well, I have one more kind of, I won't say negative question, but uh, and we'll let Russell ask the positive one. And I know you, you probably know that I, you know, my brother and I own a securities firm and with other people, mm-hmm. and uh, and there's all kinds of I'll say rules uh, that govern how you have to deal with people's money. All right, and and uh, and on the one hand, and we've, you and I have talked on the phone. And on the one hand, you know, people who know more about this stuff than me will say every transaction is there and found. Then in the, in the next in the next sentence, somebody will say, "Well, if you lose your password, you're just out, and nobody will ever get it." I, let me say, in my business, I mean, at, at PTI, if we were to send you your statement home, and it comes back to us three times, if we don't track you down. Okay, where, where did this Ryan Flynn guy go? Nobody knows where he went. He just gone one day. We have to get that money over to the state under your name, like instantly. We don't. We don't get to keep it. Uh, yet, say Russell and I, in a after somebody gave us the wrong kind of cigarette, we walked into a a place and uh, you know a currency exchange and bought fifty thousand worth of Bitcoin ten years ago. And because we had the wrong kind of cigarette, we forgot the password. Uh, the the word today is well you guys are just bleep out of luck well if if it's if the if the mechanism is so good somewhere someday in my mind again talk, talk me out of it there needs to be a phone number to call showing my age and saying hey yeah. on, on or about September fifth twenty eighteen two idiots walked in and plunked fifty grand in his vending machine it has to have been the only transaction of fifty grand in that thing ever plus on that day why can't somebody track this thing down. I mean, yeah. like like it was a bank, and the idea, well, you're just out of it, and nobody will ever get it. I I'd be honest with you, I don't buy that at all. I mean, that so yeah. talk. No, I mean it's a great point, and and that that sort of what, what you're speaking to there is 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 really the business model of my company, right? Swan Swan uh, is is a more of a centralized you know uh, brokerage, you know, private client uh, sort of financial services platform. You know, we serve we serve a, a wide range of, of customer bases, but. But what you're describing there is is sort of the maturation of Bitcoin as as a as a network and as a you know monetary asset, which is that there needs to be better user experience around it, and and so people people work with us because there is a phone number to call, right? The, okay. The, the, we have people on our team that are experts in the space that we we interface directly with our clients, and we're building on top of the Bitcoin base layer. Um, now that that you know. You know, there there are other ways to access the Bitcoin network that don't require you to go through a centralized you know entity like Swan, 
Um, and that's kind of the point of it, right? It, 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 it is more peer-to-peer. -peer. It's a way to disintermediate um, central, centralized actors like, you know, like, like the banks, like the Federal Reserve that have, you know, I, I think from, from our perspective, they have undue control over the monetary system. And and really, the, the the promise of Bitcoin is to is to disintermediate those those entities. And, and so, you as an individual, you know, can can interact directly with the monetary network within within Bitcoin. Whereas, there's no way for you to do that in the dollar system or the treasury market without going through an intermediary. Right? They they control. They're sort of the gatekeepers of the monetary system. Whereas Bitcoin is is peer to peer. It's decentralized. Um, and it gives people the ability, if they if they want and if they have the wherewithal, to 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 interface directly at the base layer, right? So it's almost like you have an account. This, this is this is not a this is a bad. So in other words, I would use you guys like you would use PTI. Sorry, say that again. I would use you guys for my Bitcoin stuff like you would use PTI for your stock stuff. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. And 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 and, and, and but but the but the good news. In the Bitcoin space, is if we were to do something to lose your trust, or we we gave you a bad you know client experience, or you know there was some other company that came along and, and outcompeted what we did, the switching cost for you to move your Bitcoin somewhere else or to take it in your own possession is very minimal, right? Um, that that's ultimately what is so interesting about Bitcoin is that it is a bare instrument. It's it's. It's the same as you having, you know, a hundred dollar bill in your wallet, right? Uh, if you lose that hundred dollars, you know, there's no password to to get that back, right? There's no phone number for you to call um, to get your to get your hundred dollars back right. if you lose it. And so that that's really the the, the mental model to to use when you think about Bitcoin is it is a digital bear instrument um, that represents final settlement. There is no counterparty risk to it. If you if you hold it in your in your possession. You don't have to trust the bank, you know, to to be to, to be running a credit fund and protect the, the the dollars that are in your checking account, right? You don't. Well, you I think don't. if you if you are overserved in a bar and you dropped a hundred, you can count on somebody else has got it. At least you know somebody else has got it, <laughs> right? If you dropped a hundred dollar well, bill. I I, th ahead, I think the number is like a hundred and forty billion worth of Bitcoin is is gone. Like yeah, people but, can't get at it anymore. Um, but but that's individuals that you know lost their password or died and didn't leave the information for anybody else or uh, you know the best is people who all all of the information was on their hard drive and they threw their computer out. Right, right. You know that I bet you we could probably go through a landfill where they put all that electronic stuff and and that 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 might actually be a good business model. People are go people out there and find as many that. hard drives as you can and then get one of those guys that can retrieve it for you. Russell, why don't you get a question in before break? We'll go to break, and then we'll bring Ryan back for a little bit. Well, I mean, my my, my thing with my biggest concern with Bitcoin, and it's been like this for a long time, and, and it's what everybody likes to say is one of the, the benefits of it, is I think the lack of centralization is, is what hurts it. That you don't have, you know, and, and you know, everybody criticizes the Fed for, for a lot of the things that they do, but you know, Bitcoin you know gets criticized for sucking up a little bit more energy than some of the other um, cryptocurrencies out there. That's why a lot of people think Ethereum is going to be the better one for transactions. Uh, and in order to maybe fix that, 
uh, you got to get consensus among all the users as opposed to you know just a central entity. So I, I actually think if, if you had a, you know, some sort of centralized entity that managed uh, the whole Bitcoin network, uh, you know, I, I actually think that would make it better in the long run. Uh, I'm just wondering yeah. what you guys think about that. Yeah, I, I would say that, I mean, I would certainly push back on that. I, I think decentralization is the sort of is the is is the you know kind of the, the reason for bitcoin's existence right i think it's 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 a set of rules without rulers is kind of is sort of a, you know the tagline in the, in the industry which is which is good because you know you you have you have a you know very transparent um you know set of rules that economic actors can look at and make calculations against right it, we, we have no idea at any given time what what the I mean, we really have no idea what the supply of money is in, in circulation today, right? We have we have zero idea of what the supply is. We have no we, we have we have people who are guessing, sort of putting their you know fingers in the air, trying to guess what the price of money is going to be next week, right? So so you talk about the, the probably the most important asset to coordinate economic activity, which is money, right? It's on one side of every single transaction in the economy. We we have no idea what the price and the supply of that of that asset is. It's 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 a centrally controlled. It's a centrally planned market, and we think about the U.S. as this free market, you know, capitalistic society, where the the the, the most important asset in that economy is centrally planned, and I I, I think that makes for poor economic calculation. It, it, it makes for misallocation of capital. There's really no way for economic actors to to make long-term planning around an asset that that is that is so manipulated, that's so centrally planned, it's right. it's almost like saying, you know, you've you've got somebody building a house and a contractor shows up to work the next day and and somebody tells them, hey, a, a foot is now twenty-four inches, is not twelve inches. Um, right. I think you're 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 talking about uh, the last. I mean, maybe fortunate or unfortunately. You don't, you don't listen in. You should listen in more often, but because we'd like to have you on more often, but the uh, well, more often than once for sure. The uh, the last four years, and Russell and I, memes stronger than him, but he agrees with me. I think the last four years, the Fed's performance during the COVID and really the performance since 2000 has been abominable to me. But we are yeah. we're, we are talking about raising the money supply by six or seven or eight. Versus three, where maybe it ought to be, or where most of the monetary old farts that that still feel that way, like me, think it is. So I'm kind of with you, but I, I'm I'm not going to go as far, even though the current president won't give you the money supply numbers every week. It's not like it's non-traceable. I mean, it, you know exactly where where the money supply and where it is, like at all times. I mean, it's not like it. It's. It, I mean, I'd, I'd be the you know the idea that it's that it's eight versus three. You know, I'll bitch about till my dying day. But it's not 50 either. If it was 50, we'd know about it. It's not the Weimar Republic. I mean, uh, would you agree with me on that, Russell, before we go to break or not? At least not yet. I mean, we may be getting there, Ryan. I, 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 I'm trend. Yeah, the, rate of, the rate of change is not encouraging at all. No, <laughs> no, there's not. Let's go to a quick break and come back. SP Futures now up 11, as if he's up 35. Andrew, let's make this a quick break, but Oops, sorry. Our Simeon got a little bit reset here, so I'll have our break up in just one second. We'll just do a traffic rather than sports real quick. Okay, sure, we'll jump right into it. All right, uh, going into some sports here, starting off with some baseball. Let me get this. Baseball has been very, very good to me. 
There we go. Let's see. Starting off with the White Sox. The White Sox won, or excuse me, lost to the Nationals 4-3. Uh, the Cubs won over the Pirates 14-1. And the Diamondbacks won over the Giants 8-4. Currently for Chicago weather, we are at 61 degrees, uh, mostly cloudy skies. We're clearing up throughout the day. Uh, we're going to have a high of 80, and that's going to hit around 4 to 5 p.m. And over in Phoenix, they're currently at 75 degrees. they got clear skies. They're going to have a high of 100 degrees. That's also going to hit around 5 p.m. Now, finally, for Chicago traffic, looks like uh, no major accidents to report, thankfully, but uh, traffic is heavy on the inbound side. Uh, especially if you're coming in on the Kennedy, expect delays all the way from Austin Avenue to about downtown. And same thing on the uh, Eisenhower. It's looking pretty backed up all the way from about 17th Avenue to downtown. Uh, but that's all I got for a quick break. I will send it right back to you, Yeah, let's just let's go right back. Uh, um, Russell, go ahead. You've, you've, been, you've been sort of quiet. Oh, I just, I mean, I... I, you, you should have told me somebody that talking about Bitcoin was going to be on because I, I don't really have a very high opinion of it. I, I mean, I, I don't either. I'm trying. I mean, and, I'm trying to and learn the here. Reason I don't, and the reason I don't have a high opinion of it is, you know, I was at SIBO when we started the futures, and we were working very closely with the Winklevoss twins. And I did. Yeah, you know, I, I, I went on road shows and did presentations with them, and over a three-week period. Uh, the the bull case for Bitcoin changed like three times, <laughs> and and yeah. you've heard and, and you've heard oh it's going to be the best you know great for transactions. It's not great for transactions. It's clunky as hell. It's and it's old technology, and you know if and that's why eventually Ethereum will be bigger than Bitcoin. Uh, you know we all. Right, all right, right. What's that. what's the difference and, in how the two of them work? Yeah, and I, I, I would just jump in, Russell, and I, I would agree with you that the Winklevoss twins, I, I would not uh, put them up there as, as the best representatives of, the, of, of Bitcoin. <laughs> so I, I think we would share, we, we would agree on a lot of things there. And I think, I think people misunderstand, you know, and it, it's a new technology, right? I think people are still wrapping their heads around it. So I don't want to, you know, I, it's something that, you know, we're, we're still learning about every day, right? And I, I think... I think there are, you know, it, because it's so new, because it's a hard, you know, technology, it's a hard concept to, to wrap one's head around. It's, it's a ripe area for, for scammers, right? I mean, I think we see a lot of that in the broader crypto space. I think they sort of use that opportunity of, of confusion and, and, and sort of misunderstanding to, to push um, various personal agendas or, or various, you know, you know scams that, that they're, you know, ripping people off and, and you know, and, and, you know, literal pump and dump schemes across the crypto space uh, because it's it's a confusing, you know, topic. And I think what, what, what people, I think the biggest misconception is that, you know, what, what the problem that Bitcoin is trying to solve is not transaction throughput, right? We, we have a pretty good, uh, you know, network of, of merchant processing, you know, through Visa, through Apple Pay, through all these point of sale systems that do a pretty good job in terms of transaction throughput. And so that from the beginning, you know, I, I think it was it was sort of a misunderstanding of Bitcoin to be this sort of technology that is going to innovate transactions speed and, and throughput. And, and really what it's trying to do is solve for the base layer, right? It's trying to solve for a broken monetary system. It, it's trying to be a better store of value, ultimately, and 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 it's trying to to accomplish that through, you know, a decentralized network, which which really, 
is is the only way that you can do that. I mean, anytime you have somebody that has central control over a, a money printer, it's it's always going to end in debasement, and it's always going to end in corruption. Um, and so, the only way that you can you sort of break that cycle, and, we, and we, if you look throughout history, through monetary history, you see that over and over and over again. You see, I, have a, I have a quick question on that, uh, Ryan. Is it what you're talking about? And Russell and I have talked about this for a long time, and I think both we stand the same spot opinion-wise on, on Bitcoin, Russell and I. I my there is no. I mean, uh, Russell, do you know anybody in this world that, that bitches more about the degradation of the of the of the currency worldwide than me? I mean, it's the same as it's the same as they did in Rome. It's the same as they did in mm-hmm. Amsterdam. It, it's a trick of every government for yeah. three thousand years. But and, and I would I probably can give you chapter and verse on how much less the dollar is worth in terms of real assets than it was twenty years ago. And I could also probably give you somewhat of a history and one of the reasons why the union won the civil war is because they came, they kept control of their currency and the, and the south didn't and, and they had massive inflation in the south and the currency became useless so they lost their population basically but I, I, I think the solution at this level at my level is to try and let, let's let's say there's 20 percent more more cash in the system than ought to be or 25 and Russell probably has a better view of that than me uh, but it's not it's not like there's there's zero and if, and if and I would I would say that from my opinion it wouldn't surprise me that an alternative currency doesn't pop up to where if you're in Russia and you've got I mean, Russell I isn't wasn't like 20 years ago people used to say that the greatest store store of assets of a, of a Russian peasant is the three or four hundred hour bills he's managed to find US hundred hour bills oh, yeah. And, and and he's and he's got him basically in his sugar his, his sugar drawer. Uh, well, that that five hundred bucks is now worth three hundred bucks. It, mm-hmm. I, so I'm with you, Ryan, on that. Uh, so my my solution, if if I was going to do it, and I was people from Saudi and China and stuff, I'd say I'd come out with a currency. Uh, and I've done some currency theory stuff when I was in school. I'd come out with a currency, and let's call it a, a, a Ryan Russell. And you, this thing, one of these Ryan Russells is equal to a, a quart of oil or something to where I know exactly what it's worth. And guess what? This is never going to change. You're always going to get your uh-huh. quart of oil. And this, the solution to look at what the, the federal central banks have done, which I find abysmal because they're dropping their value versus their assets, uh-huh. I don't see how the solution is something based on no assets. I guess that's, that's my issue. Russell, is that kind of uh-huh. yours too? It is. And I, let me, let me, I was, you know, I was like 20% into what I was trying to say. And I guess I shouldn't have cited the Winkleboss guys, but that was my start with Bitcoin, you know, and, and, yeah. you know, I was, I was the, the SIBO guy that was the Bitcoin guy all of a sudden. And so at the beginning of the roadshow, they're talking about transactions and then they keep, keep getting grilled about Ethereum. And then, you know, and this was like eight or nine years ago. Uh, and then they, so then they start talking about what a great store of value it is. And, and they really got, I mean, they, they I, what I started doing was I started, every time I got paid, I put 100 bucks in Bitcoin. And I did that for uh, up until um, the spring of 2022. And then I just sold it all. I was like, I just, this isn't going to work. And the reason was it went from great for transactions, sterile value, 
And then in the fall of 2021, you know, we and we a lot of people in the financial industry were well aware that that we were facing inflation. So you hear Bitcoin is going to be a great store of inflation. Well, you know, the dollar would have been a better would have been a better hedge against inflation because Bitcoin lost about 50 percent of its value, <laughs> um, you know, with the inflationary environment. So I, I yeah. just I just have a heck of a time. Uh, believe in Bitcoin as be the one. I do think some sort of blockchain will be, but you, you've talked about how Bitcoin is new technology. You know, it's been around for you know, uh, what eight, nine years or so. Yeah, about nine years or so. Um, and you know, and and there because it's there's no central uh, entity that can update the technology. It's old technology now. So I, I, I do think that there's a space for some sort of centralized, or not necessarily centralized, but commonly used um, you know, blockchain cryptocurrency uh, that we use for, for, for transactions. But I think Bitcoin is the, um, the, what was before Facebook, MySpace or some crap yeah. like that. Yeah. That's what I think Bitcoin is. I think it's MySpace. And we don't have the Facebook or whatever the real. I, I think that I, I I do believe that there's going to be something like Bitcoin eventually, and that we need something like that. But Bitcoin ain't it, man. Well, Ryan, do, do us a favor, and we'll let you go. But if somebody is into it and has a lot of it, or has has been trading it wherever, uh, at least explain to us if they do or want to why they're better off going through you guys and just doing it on their own. Yeah, and, and I would say to, to Russell's point there, you know, I would love to come back on and continue talking about this because it, it is a big topic. There's a lot of ground to cover. But but I would say just in real quick response to to what Russell was saying there, which is which is a common you know viewpoint. Uh, there is a way to to that we have updated the technology around the Bitcoin base layer. So there there is a process through which developers are maintaining that software and updating it as we. When you go. say developers, who are they? So, so it's it's an open source you know, it's open source software. So anybody okay. can can go look at at the code and, and contribute to the code. And there's a sort of a distributed um, you know uh, consensus uh, uh, mechanism that that you know kind of governs the rules around Bitcoin and governs you know how the software gets updated. And and so that's happening. That's a very very robust uh, ecosystem. There's thousands of people that contribute to it every day. And there's there's also and the other thing to think about as well here is is there are layers on top of Bitcoin that are, you know, representing, you know, really where the the sort of the innovation, the more dynamic innovation is happening with Bitcoin. So so again, Bitcoin at the base layer is solving for securing value. It's it's a it's a pretty narrow design space, right? We just we need something there that can secure the value that that people are storing in Bitcoin. And and you know protect you know protect that that value and allow you to send and receive you know value and achieve final settlement at the base layer. That that's really all it's trying to do at that at that layer. And then layer two, there are innovations on la at layer two, layer three, like the Lightning Network. Um, you know there are side chains uh, like Liquid. Um, there are companies like Swan that are building on top of of the Bitcoin. Right, why don't you uh, throw out a, a shameless phone number? And yeah. uh, if anybody actually has it, at least uh, 
Let's put it this way. Yes. If I decided so, to if I decided to dive into it, which I'm not saying I would, but if I did, I'd call you first. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no call. idea what I'm doing. So please call me. Um, and again, I'd love to come back and, and talk talk more about it. But but yeah, Swan.com is, is where you can find our our business, and we have a lot of content there, educational content that that kind of d- goes deep onto all these topics. All right, thanks, um, buddy. Are you, are you going to the game Saturday? Sorry, are you going to the game? You going to South Bend? Uh, I am not going to the game, unfortunately. I, I but I, I'll have some family there, Tom. So you're your crusty so. old man. Your crusty old man going to be there? Yeah, he's going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Take care of yourself, buddy. Thank you. We'll have All you right. back on. It's fun, yeah. fun stuff. Thank you. Thank you guys both for having me. The uh, Russell, that's a it's a very terrific uh, Indianapolis family. The Flynn's. Uh, oh. J W oh Flynn. The dad owned a uh, a insurance company forever. I think they had 10, 11 kids, something like that. And uh, oh, good God! And uh, so they're everywhere. Yeah, when they and then the uh, <laughs> the people like next door, the Macaulays were on the block. They had like twelve kids, and you know, and you know, you're in trouble when you when you have to when you have to use the last name for your kids. Well, that's Tom Flynn. Well, that's Tom Macaulay because you would never know which time you were talking about because everybody used all the same names, <laughs> right? But uh, nice that's group. The old man was a nice guy. Mom was a terrific lady, and uh. Mm-hmm. But uh, John's been one of my best friends. His dad forever, really good basketball player. We, you know, we played ball, got every day for for how many years? Four years. And uh, no, he went to Indiana freshman year. And then they then they came in. Uh, uh, one of the interesting stories is they knew a bunch of guys on the the Purdue team, right? So the Irish are playing Purdue, and there was a guy named uh, uh, Greg Niehaus. He was a freshman. It was mm-hmm. the first year that freshman could play, and he's a good friend of Kevin's. He's you know younger than me, and. Uh, the Irish had been pushing this guy named Greg Marks, something, something. Steve Niehaus. It was Greg Marks was the other tackle. Uh-huh. They, were, they were pushing him for like all American. So the Irish kind of yeah. womp, they kind of womp up on Purdue, and we're in the dorm having a beer afterward. And uh, so the phone rings, and it's one of the the uh, old linemen on Purdue calling like Tim McCauley, a buddy. As he goes, "Hey, what the hell, <laughs> you guys? This guy is supposed to be all American." He was nothing. Who's that freshman? After the third play, we started double teaming the guy. <laughs> Who was that guy? <laughs> Where the hell did he come from? Yeah, and then he, was, wasn't it kind of fun? Wasn't it kind of fun when you know college sports wasn't a big business? Oh yeah, and and you know they weren't ranking all the freshmen, and you had no cl- no clue who these new, kid, new kids were until you went and saw a couple of games. Well, this was the first year freshman could play, and he was he okay. was he was an, a first round draft pick of I believe Seattle. Nice guy. Okay. Uh, but he, uh, he was he was the, the the poster boy for the Sports Illustrated Jinx. Because he oh, would, really? he had started a bunch of games and was a big star after three four games. The Sports Illustrated came out took a bunch of pictures of him in practice. He went from the camera show to a pass block and drill, and wrecked his knee, like ten oh, minutes afterward. Goodness. And he came back, you know, and he had a nice career in pros. But obviously, he's still hopping around that knee. Uh, but good guy good guy and uh so that i know that the family really really well and uh i think we, i learned something um i uh-huh. mean I, i'm not i don't think i've changed my necessary opinion on the fact that if we don't like stuff that's degrading in value we're going to do something that's zero value i don't it's a yeah plus when they say when, when you say stuff like they are working on the stuff my, my first question is who's the they you know, I guess I'm just well, I'm the, too cynical. The, the issue, the, the the issue with that is to make a what, the way the Bitcoin network is is set up is in order to if you really wanted to make a big update, you have to get 
like a majority of people to agree to that update. And it, it's it's just a clunky way to go about doing that. Yeah, it think about it this way. It, you know, you've got uh, your internet browser from 2014 and your internet browser today. You know, when Google wants to update your browser, they and and you know add features to it and things like that, they just force an update toward you. Uh, if you want to do an update, if, if if it were a blockchain piece of software, they could they could propose the update, but 50% of the users need to chime, or 50 just over 50% need to chime in and say, yeah, we want the update. Really? I, that 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 yeah, that's that that's where um, the and that's why I think that the the ultimate winner in the crypto space, and Ethereum does have more of a centralized ability to update it that's 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 why you know there there's always this little debate among um, people that are talking about crypto how long is it going to be before ethereum is bigger than bitcoin okay hey can i shift eventually gears? eventually because that's kind of, that's the the next generation one all right can i shift gears totally yeah. on you here um yeah I, yeah i figured that's one of, that i figured that's why we were uh, saying goodbye to him, and we're going to talk about. Well, we got to, we, we, we like you know, we both. Yeah. I think we covered the Fed as, as good as you can today. Uh, uh -huh. um, my question is, we've been outlining whatever with people all week, and actually the, uh, you know, kind of the the, the star people. The last couple, when I say the star people, not the star guests, but in terms of uh, that, I, I'm trying to put my thumb on, uh, you know, the pulse of the world here, is I think we've all identified that because of the quote level of the stock market. Um, not saying sell, it, there, there's some risk there. Now, some of the stuff has come flying way down, like the uh, NVIDIA is down, you know, whatever, 20% since the top. So some of the stuff has mm -hmm. eased back some uh, and without seeming causing any massive problems unless you bought it at the top and still got it. Uh, we have this, I think, the most incredibly top-heavy real estate market I've ever seen, but it's, it's being clouded by the fact that there aren't any houses for sale. And, and houses for sale yeah. are not they can't be for sale because nobody can give up a 3.5% mortgage and go get a 7 so I, there, there's I, I get the feeling I really, I really think the only people that, that, that can sell a house these days and you said top heavy are people that have more than one well, well, that, that, because, well that's, because, that, the, because the moving cost is so you know my, my lovely wife and I we've got uh, one kid that's a little less than two years of getting out of the house and then there's going to be two of us in, in, in a house that's really too big for four people. And it's, we bought it on a foreclosure. We got a really good, it was really more of a, a really great financial deal, et cetera. I'm not trying to humble brag about the house, but um, we wouldn't be able to sell this place right now and, and, you know, downsize with a mortgage that probably was too expensive relative to what we would expect. I, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of people are in, in, in that situation. I'm, I'm with you, uh, and, I, and I've sort of, because I try and be, despite what I sound like, I try and be fairly positive, because after all, we are America, right? And and, and, oh. so, and some of these people, like even though a lot of people don't want the automakers to get their 40% raise, if they do, I think they have a much less chance of having to puke their house out, okay, or anything like mm -hmm. that and causing, because I think we're, we're on the top of a few cliffs here. And if we walk steady, maybe we can come down, we can find a way to get down easy. But I'm starting to see a couple of, uh, uh, shall we say, cracks in the dike. 
You know, Audrey, I was out mm-hmm. to walk through with I didn't. I stayed in the car, mind my own business. Last thing I want is me talking about something else. Uh, I let her do her stuff on her own because I could only screw it up, right? So uh, these people, they they had sold a house and they and they they're going to buy another house, you know, somewhat cash. There's a lot of that going on. People maybe have had two houses or or people that uh, retired that have a house um, and say just like you, well, you know, hey wifey we, we could really do this in a townhouse or we don't have to cut the grass and stuff we got a nice enough one we're fine there mm-hmm. we don't need a house house i mean you may decide to do that you may not who knows i mean, I mean it's your business but there, there's that going on now those people they're selling it maybe maybe the townhouse is fully paid for i'm saying there's a lot of that going on but both nancy and odd uh in the last few weeks have come up with a couple of cracks in the dike uh, a couple of long-term mm-hmm. customers that audrey's had uh Guess what? The guy got laid off um, in software business, yeah. and and Nancy had a couple of clients where, guess what? They got divorced, and now it's a new mortgage. It's seven instead of four. I mean, it's oh it's it's yeah. you know it's it's you know there's going to be can we hang in there? Like you say, and it was the same way with the Fed. Now I think the Fed is basically telling the population, we're not helping you with the price level. We're just trying to maintain from this this day forward that the inflation level is two to three and not twelve or fifteen like it was for three years. That that's what they're mm-hmm. telling you. Now I'm not so sure I would do it any differently if I, if they tossed me in right now. I can rag all I can about how horrible a job they did in the last four years or for the last twenty years, but that's not going to yeah. stop today, right? Now today, if you and I were in there, we might be going to make the same call. My guess would be. We'd want it down more like 1% or even for a while because mm-hmm. 2 or 3 is too high given what we've gone through the last four years. So you and I may ratchet it back more, but I doubt if either one of us is going to say, we better, we better get 20% of this money out of here and try and retract this price level 20%. I think you and I would both agree that we might cause more harm than, than not there. So the other side of the yeah. coin is we have to make sure that somehow the economy stays steady so people can catch up to where every union and every other person does over the next year or so get the 40% raise that they didn't get over the last four years that they need to stay even. That's what has to happen. And, and now we're having we're yeah. people bitching about it happening. Or even, you know... Yeah, no, we, I mean, we, we've known we're going to get to live through this uh, mucking along. So... Yeah, but I mean... <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, it's funny, yesterday I was... Uh, I, I, I was joking around with some other professors when we were looking at some uh you know, we were looking at the uaw uh salaries and we're like why the hell are we in academia why didn't we become <laughs> why are we in the work world but you know just kind of getting around about it and you know what if i were in the corporate world right now i would be absolutely paranoid that i was going to lose my job regardless of where i lost well, yeah. where i work i would be very concerned about that um, I, you know, the, the, I, I'm very fortunate that I've kind of fallen into a place that has really nice job security. Well, you know what else we, you know, I agree. so, so it's easy for me to say as someone that is, you know, as long as I don't do something completely stupid, um, and lose my job that I, you know, that, that I don't, we're gonna, the economy is gonna, it's going to be a tough two, three, four years. It really is going to be. And you know, it, it, it's a function of a lot of stuff that's going on. We've got to catch people's salaries up so their real purchasing power is back where it used to be. Um, something not a lot of people are talking about. Uh, you've got, and, and I'm one of these because I took out loans for my PhD. 
Um, my PA, yeah, I'm going to start paying 1200 bucks a month for right. my student loans uh, September 30th. It's, so there's uh, twelve hundred bucks that does not go elsewhere. It's, it's I, you know, I'm I'm older and I I it, it's not as much of a dent. But good God, if I'd had to, if if somebody told me when I was thirty that oh yeah, by the way, uh, you know, and you know, and I was able to plan for it at least. But if you know, if all of a sudden I was going to be making twelve hundred bucks less, I'd be looking for a roommate. You know, I, yeah. I I would have been a lot of trouble. The, the, so we've got we've got a lot of stuff beyond just where you know just the the corner that we've been painted into. All right, I have, we got to wait I had three one, years for the paint to dry and get out of yeah, there. Yeah, see, what you did to me. I had one huge question uh, uh, ready uh-huh. for you. Now I have two. Uh, the average Uh-oh. the average Pardon. next month you mentioned the student loan stuff. The average mm-hmm. check going to the federal government from all the people who have student loans, from what I read, is two hundred eighty six uh-huh. bucks. 43 million people. I wish. No, I'm saying the average. The average 43 million people. Um, yep. What, yep. how big of a, a a yank out the society's backside is that going to be starting in October? I got to believe that 286 bucks has been used to cover inflation and stuff everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's going to come right out and, of everybody's and hide. The, and there's the knowing it's coming. And, you know, I know it's coming. Uh, but then there's the reality. Yep. And it's so you know, we, we were talking about the rate hike thing and the rate cut thing, everything. It, it, and I tend to rarely go against what the, what the derivative markets are saying. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if we get a rate cut in you know, one of the first two meetings next year. Well, if the economy starts to die. We only got two minutes. The other, the other quick question, yeah, and we're not going yeah. to solve this, is another thing that the, it's not the unions, but not the, not the Ford, it's it's the reality of it, where somebody says the package is eighty five thousand a year or ninety thousand a year, or some number, uh, uh-huh. and you say, "Wow, holy bleep, the guy's making that much for for putting a car together," but actually, he, he's he's making thirty bucks an hour or thirty five. Uh-huh. The 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 medical piece on top of that is twenty two hundred a month that he's not getting. Okay, now it's it's benefits. Carl's right. If we don't bring this medical cost down, somehow or another, the whole thing is going to blow up. You can't have people yeah. with an $80,000 a year package where they're walking home with 50. God help you if you're paying it yourself. Yeah. I mean, you just, because 50 is not enough to live and have a decent house these days, yet 80 is a lot of dough. You know, it's, it's a reasonable amount of dough. You, you, yeah. you, can't, you can't be given 30% away to the medical community, they don't deserve it. I, somehow well, or other. and and it's not. It, it's funny because I we're circling back to the very beginning when I was. I just mentioned that I've got a couple of freshmen I'm working on research projects with, and one of them wants to go into uh, drug drug research, and wants to. You know, she and and she said that you know one of the things that she would like to do is try to make, uh, you know, drugs cheaper. And and I started explaining that the reason drugs are so expensive is because the ultimate users don't really see the price tag directly. And when that, when, when that happens, uh, you, know, higher, you, know, you can raise the price. The insurance company can bitch about it. They can pass that part along, uh, but you know, th- because there's so many steps in between and, and most people don't think beyond one step, uh, that, you know, that's why healthcare costs keep going up. Well, whatever right it is, there. you can't be having somebody show up at 
Northwestern for two hours worth of tests on a couple of machines, and the bill be like fifteen grand. It's like it's like half a year's salary for, this, for the population. Oh yeah. yeah anyway, absolutely. Russell, thank you. We and covered a bunch of stuff. And, by the way, thanks for helping me out with Ryan because uh, you know more oh, about no, it than no me. No problem. I hope I, I hope I wasn't too too. No, no, no. I think I'll, we were. I'll go down to his office and I'll bring him up. You know, uh, he's a. I'll bring well, him the whole fam the whole family. It's just a great yeah. group. Just a great group. Mm-hmm. One of these days, I want to meet the old man. Uh, anyway, SP futures up fifteen. Nasdaq futures up fifty five. Thank you, Russell. Thank you, Andrew. We're uh, uh, Fed Fed announcement one fifteen Chicago time.